Right, well, good morning, everybody. I hope you had a, a great Christmas. Um, and I hope you didn't have a power have, <laughs> um, have had. Uh, my name is Robin Davis, uh, and I'd like to... Uh, for those of you who are visiting or are new to the church, uh, please join us for tea and coffee and fellowship after the service. This is the last Sunday of the year, not surprising as it's the 31st of uh, December, and uh, Duncan will be preaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with the thought-provoking title of Keep Calm and Preach the Gospel. Good morning. The reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 to 7. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhand ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing powers belong to God and not to us. Amen. Well, good morning, and let me uh, add my welcome to you. My name is Duncan. It's not often you get two Duncans on a platform. This is the Duncan who doesn't do the wee talk. Um, um, but trust you had a, a very happy Christmas and wonderful to have you with us as we come to worship the Lord. We spend the next chunk of our time um, really looking into those verses of Scripture that Julia read for us. We want to hear what God has to say to us, and we believe that He speaks to us through the pages of His Word. And so turn with me again to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You'll find those verses are printed in the, in the diary that you received on the way in, if you don't have a Bible to hand, but you'll find it helpful to follow along with me. And I, want to, I want to ask you, when, when is it time to admit that you need to change direction, you need a change of course. When is it time to do that? Well, it is when you realize that the course you're on seems to be heading to the wrong destination, right? So if you're 3-0 down at half time, more of the same is probably not the road to turning around your fortunes. If depending upon your own good sense of direction has had you circling for 30 minutes trying to find the wedding venue, then it's time to change course and ask someone for directions, right? There's still some hope of getting there, but a change is needed. Or what about when it's gone further than that? When is it time to concede defeat? Well, it's when we believe the cause to be lost, right? And knowing when to concede defeat is important. Failing to understand that can be costly. If you're a general in a war or someone being sued in court, 
to keep battling on with no prospect of victory might easily be the end of you and many others with you. Well, I raise those questions because the verses that we've read together, they kind of answer the question about when we see things not going as we'd hoped for in terms of gospel ministry, in terms of church ministry, if the outcome isn't as we hoped it would be, well, what do we do? Is, 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 there, is there a time to concede defeat? Is there a time to change course? Well, there's a lot here for us. These verses come from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, which is a city in Greece, and it's one of the most personal letters that Paul wrote. And it's personal because actually it's a personal defense of his own ministry. This letter lays bare some of the challenges that the Apostle Paul had as a minister of the gospel. And it's a response to all manner of criticisms that came his way. And if you read the letter, you can work out what the accusations were people were making against him. They said things like, well, Paul, I mean, you're not a proper apostle, are you? I mean, you came later than the other guys. You're not a proper apostle. Um, we think Paul has maybe distorted this message of the gospel that he preaches. He, he doesn't tell us that we need to obey the law. Haven't you ever wondered if Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, then why do so many people reject his message? Have you ever listened to Paul preach? He's not terribly impressive. These are the kind of things, and this is just a flavor of some of the things that came his way. And much of the criticism that Paul answers is a criticism of how outwardly unimpressive his ministry seemed to be. Just to look on at it, there was nothing just terribly awesome about it, you know? And who could deny that? At the end of the letter, Paul will, will, will list his sufferings, the things he's endured for the sake of the gospel. And it's, it's, a, it's a devastating thing to read of the beatings that he endured, of the near-death experiences and so on. According to all of our normal standards of success, Paul's ministry was not thriving. And so with this being brought to his attention, what's he going to do? Is it time to change tactics? Maybe it's even time to concede defeat. Well, I wonder what would you say about the condition of the church in Scotland today? Or maybe even just in Bankery? How would you assess where we're at with things? I mean, there's a lot of parallels here, isn't there? Outwardly unimpressive. Small numbers of people becoming Christians today. And in fact, the church in Scotland is as small as it's been, well, for hundreds of years. And plenty of Christians and plenty of churches have lost hearts. And a great many believe that the future fortunes of the church lie in a complete change of approach, embracing tactics that more reflect the way that our world achieves things. So, well, what would Paul say to our church in the face of what sometimes feels like really unimpressive returns? 
Well, these verses explain to us, if you see verse 1, how Paul and his companions do not lose heart. His message to the Corinthians and to us, and helpful for us, hopefully, as we stand on the cusp of a new year, is keep calm and preach the gospel. Keep calm and preach the gospel. The Apostle Paul is a very, very good instructor. Throughout all of his writings, he never gives out instructions without first laying a platform for why and how to do it. And we certainly need that here, don't we? Paul says, we don't lose heart, and he'll say it again later in the chapter. Scan down to verse 16, you'll find it. Well, we need him to help us here, don't we? Because, I mean, there's lots of reasons why he could be downbeat, why he could think about conceding defeat, but he says he doesn't lose heart. He keeps calm. Well, how can we not lose heart? Well, first of all, he says we, we, we don't lose heart. We keep calm because we know the mercy of God. Verse 1, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. What does he mean by this ministry? Well, I think we could understand this in a couple of ways. Firstly, it relates to what gospel ministry is. The Bible, um, you may know, has an Old and a New Testament, and the Old Testament is the, the retelling in many different voices of the story of how God is and has been at work in the history of the world to rescue sinners from their lostness. Human beings who are far from God, liable to God's judgment, and it centers on the calling of Abraham establishing the nation of Israel, but the privileges that those Old Testament people had were nothing compared to what we now have in Jesus. Those Old Testament people had the law, the Ten Commandments that came through Moses, which was a glorious thing. It, it, it revealed God to them, but it was actually something that could only condemn them. It gave them rules for life, but it didn't give them the means to keep those rules. And so, in a sense, those Old Testament people, they saw, but they didn't see clearly. And that was pictured in Moses himself, who, when he was in God's presence, when he would leave God's presence, something of the glory of God would still be shining on his face. And he would wear a veil over his face to stop the Israelites from seeing it. That sense that they, there's something that just stopping them from seeing the glory of God clearly. But now we live in the New Testament, the New Covenant, where the veil has been lifted. There's not just a condemning letter of the law that hangs over us, no, now we proclaim the ministry of the Spirit who transforms the hearts of all who believe in Jesus. By His work in our hearts, we're now able to see the glory of God, able to see Jesus for who He truly is. And this is all of God's mercy and grace. And because God has done that, Paul says, we don't lose heart. That's his argument in chapter 3 as he comes to this part. Because God has done that, we don't lose heart. But there's more than that. 
This mercy that Paul speaks of relates to his own story. He was the church's fiercest opponent. He gave his life to destroy the church and to destroy the people who belonged to it. He would have people thrown in prison, and we know that he oversaw the murder of at least one Christian. But one day, on his way to persecute some more Christians, the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Paul recounts what Jesus said to him. Listen to this. And this is from uh, Acts 26. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Rise, stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Jesus appeared to Paul to give him this mission to open his eyes, first of all, to see and believe in Jesus, and to give him this mission to carry the message about Jesus to people who were who were not Jews, people who were outsiders, so that they may turn from darkness to light, from Satan to God. Later, Paul would reflect back on this in in his writing to Timothy, and he said, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. God's mercy to give him this. Jesus had, had turned Paul around, given him the job of being a servant and a witness to others, telling them who he has seen, so that through this message they'll have their eyes opened and turn to Christ for forgiveness of sins. You see, Paul, who writes these words for us, he realizes that he's been granted this unbelievable privilege to be a spokesperson for God to be the means by which God will rescue people from their sins. And so, when he remembers that, he does not lose heart. He is able, in the face of opposition, in the face of outwardly unimpressive ministry, he's able to keep calm. God's given him this great privilege. And it's a privilege that comes to the church in every generation, to us here today to bear the good news of Jesus to a lost world, to hold out Jesus Christ as the only way to be right with God. And it's a mercy because, well, God didn't need to give us that job, but God has been merciful to us. Now, all of that sounds good, but there's a big elephant in the room where someone listening on would say, Paul, that, that, that sounds great, but why do so many people reject your message then? If it is all these things, and this is why you proclaim Jesus, then why isn't it more effective? I mean, we're a small church in, a big, in the big city of Corinth. Why is proclaiming Jesus not working? And Paul, in verses 3 and 4 of our chapter here, says, we don't lose heart, we keep calm because we know why people reject Jesus. And it's not because there's something wrong with the message. 
And it's not even because there's something wrong with the messenger. The biggest reason why people reject Jesus is because there's something going on in the heart of everyone. Look what he says, verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world is another way of describing the devil. Jesus in the Gospels would describe him as the prince or the ruler of this world, and here he is the God of this world or the God of this age. This is the arena in which the devil holds sway. He is opposed to God's good purposes. He seeks to destroy the plans of God. He seeks to destroy humanity, that that part of creation that is uniquely made in the image of God. And here's his chief way of doing it, by blinding them. And I suppose there, there must be multiple ways in which that blinding is accomplished. Uh, simple closed-mindedness, uh, a love for sin, settling for short-term pleasures, making them very comfortable in this world even. Whatever it may be, Paul is reminding us here that there is a blindness in the heart of men and women that makes them unable to see the light of the glory of Christ. And I'm sure there will be many of you here who can actually relate to that. For most of us, we didn't become a Christian the first time we heard about Jesus Christ. For most of us, that's the case. And it's not necessarily that on those previous occasions when you heard about him that you didn't understand the message about Jesus. It's just that the, the relevance, the, the, the point of connection just, just wasn't there. You, you just couldn't quite see it. But then there came a time when you heard this message differently And the key thing was that you saw him differently. You saw the glory of Jesus Christ. The veil was lifted, and you were compelled to trust this Savior. Paul's point is that even though it might seem like the ministry of the gospel isn't working well, it isn't producing the results we would like, You can and you must keep calm because the fundamental problem that needs to be overcome is not in your hands. You know why people reject Jesus. It's because they're blind. They need what has happened to you. And he describes that in verse 6. Christian If you're a Christian here today, God, the Creator, who on the first page of your Bible spoke light into darkness, He needs to shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. 
It is God who saves people. Only God can save people. Only God has the power to make light shine out of darkness. And that's what he does in someone to bring them to Jesus Christ. And this can be hard for us to hear, and certainly in no way does the Bible ever describe this in a way that that would absolve someone of their responsibility before God. The message keeps coming to every one of us. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. This comes to you. This, This comes into your possession for you to respond to. But maybe you're listening to this and you can relate. Maybe you're here today and you do understand something of the message of Jesus Christ. You might even think that much of it makes sense You might even nod in agreement with most of it. But somehow you feel yourself stuck there. You just can't get beyond that to faith, to trusting in this Jesus. If Paul's words are true, and they are, the single most effective thing you could do in that situation is not to read more, but is simply to pray to God and ask Him to remove the veil, to enable you to see Jesus clearly. And surely a mark of a church that believes these words to be a true reflection on what goes on when someone comes to faith will be a church that is in prayer doing that very same thing, asking God to open blind eyes to see Jesus. And to the church then, Paul's message is keep calm and preach the gospel. Make sure, therefore, that people can see Jesus clearly in what we're doing. And that's what lies behind Paul's approach to ministry, his fulfilling the mission that Jesus gave to him. He, as he puts it in verse 5, he proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what it means for him to proclaim the gospel It is to proclaim the person of Jesus Christ. It is all centered on Him. This is why Paul gave his life to traveling around the Mediterranean, to proclaim Jesus. He's not ashamed to speak of Jesus as the fulfillment of of all the Old Testament promises, not ashamed to hold Him out as the promised Savior given by God. And what was his approach to doing this? Look at this in verse 2. He says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's words, but instead he engages in an open statement of the truth. And I guess, well, what else could you be committed to if you really understand the grace of God and you really do understand the reason why people don't respond to Jesus? if we truly believe that only an encounter with Jesus Christ will save someone, then there is no point in trying to trick someone into believing. 
There is no point in, in trying to manipulate things to force a response out of someone. There's no point in hiding the inconvenient truths that people don't want to hear about Jesus, right? What would be the point in any of that? And so that's what Paul says true church ministry is dedicated to, clearly and honestly proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. And look at where that will be obvious. It'll be obvious in how they handle God's Word. Verse 2, not tampering with it, instead an open statement of the truth. And that's what we must always be committed to. I mean, of course, there are lots and lots of ways that we um, connect with people, lots of ways that we gain the opportunities to share the, the truth of the gospel. But at heart, we must always come back to this. We're not here to brainwash people. What would be the point in that? We're not simply here to try and gain a following. Who cares about that? We want people to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Because if they don't see that, then what does the rest of it matter? Jesus Christ is the most compelling person anyone will ever meet and all the rest of us fade into the background compared to him. And so, as we stand looking into 2024, we, we take this commitment that Paul makes and we make it our own. We commit that we will make open statements of the truth because there's nothing else. There's nothing else worth delivering. So, we're willing to tell this story that God did make human beings to know Him and to worship Him. It is an obligation that comes to every single one of us on planet Earth. But the entirety of the human history is the story of how we've fallen away from that. It's the story of human rebellion against their Creator. We've made ourselves incompatible with God because of our sin. God is the perfect being. He lacks nothing. He needs nothing. He is pure goodness, pure rightness, pure beauty. And yet, and yet this God reaches down to where sinners like us are, driven by His own love and grace. God the Son comes down to us taking on the weakness of humanity. He lives the life of perfect obedience and worship to God that we have not lived and cannot live. And He laid down that perfect life to die on a cross, suffering at the hands of men, but crucially, suffering at the hand of God. Because there, on the cross, Jesus Christ bears the penalty that our sins deserve. He takes our rebellion against God as if it's His own. And in doing so, He takes away the punishment that sinners deserve. 
And that was declared to be the case by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. This is what Jesus has done. And He calls anyone who will listen to turn away from living for self, to turn away from that, and to trust in Him, to believe that He is all of those things for you. And the one who believes will be forgiven and will have eternal life, life restored to what it was created to be. But those who reject Jesus reject the only way to be forgiven and will face God's terrifying judgment alone. Here is a message of good news. Jesus has done everything to make a sinner right with God. Simply believe, and you will find life. Friends, this is what we believe. This is what we proclaim and we seek to proclaim no other message than Jesus Christ, a Savior for sinners. A proclamation of Jesus Christ that seeks to turn every hearer away from us and towards Him. I have to mention verse 5 because a neglect of verse 5 has been the undoing of many evangelical churches and so we take it to heart. Paul says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. This is drawn out further in verse 7. This wonderful treasure of the good news of the gospel has been given to us, and the beauty of the glory of Jesus really shows us up for what we are, Verse 7, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. What a wonderfully liberating thing this is, but a hard lesson to learn. The success of the gospel, the growth of the church is not riding on us. And if we draw people to anything other than Jesus, then we are not building on a sure foundation. But let that be an encouragement to you. Christian, as you seek to share Jesus with your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones, the thing that so easily holds us back is our inadequacy for the task, isn't it? I'm not up to this. Who am I to do this? How can I stand in front of these people and say this? What a reminder this is. The treasure is in a jar of clay. We all know that. It's not about you. It's not about me. You carry the most precious thing on earth, the good news of Jesus, and God says that when He's clearly proclaimed, there is when we should look for Him to work to change lives for eternity. Of course, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's no excuse for insensitivity, but we must always be driven by a love for others, a love for the Lord, and so we keep on proclaiming Jesus Christ. Because it could be tempting to move away from doing that. And maybe even we would have the illusion of success. But it's foundationless if we are not pointing people to Jesus Christ. So we together 
we renew afresh our commitment to the ministry of making Jesus known. That's what we're here for, and that's what we want 2024 to be. And in doing so, we must also renew afresh our commitment to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord that He would bless those efforts to make Jesus known. Friends, we may wish that the church was bigger. Some of you I know pray for revival. In fact, I've heard people praying for revival this morning already. Well, we're encouraged. We've seen people come to faith in 2023. And we pray for many, many more. And though we haven't yet seen the revival we long for, here's the commitment we must make. Here's what we must take on board, however far away it might feel at times. These words of Scripture are saying to us, friends, keep calm and preach the gospel. Make it your mission to introduce as many as you can to your wonderful Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we thank you that the church belongs to not one of us, but it is the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is the head of the church. He is building the church and he has promised to complete that building work. And what a what a mercy it is that you've given us this partnership with Jesus in this building work. Lord, we pray that we would be found faithful, holding out honestly and clearly the message of the gospel unashamed of the Savior, but Lord, confident that you've promised to take what can seem to the world like a weak message, but that you will take that seemingly weak message and bring eternal life. Thank you that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And if there's any here, Lord, who still have a sense that there's still this veil there, that they they wish they could see Jesus more clearly. Lord, we pray that you would lift that, or that that, uh, you would help each one of us to see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for many opportunities, and we pray that it would be the great desire of our hearts to proclaim this glorious Jesus And we pray that you would bless and you would save and that you would grow your church in this place. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.